Well, hey, good morning, Freedom Village Church family. Pastor James here. Uh, hope you're doing well and having a blessed Sunday. Uh, I'm actually in Pyeongtaek this morning, uh, preaching to our gathering down there, but I still want to take the time to introduce our speaker for today. Uh, for those of you who have been a part of Freedom Village for any amount of time, you know that one of our values is gospel-centered teaching, and we take that very serious. We believe that from Genesis uh, to Revelation, the scriptures point us to the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, when we open God's word and teach from it, we expect the gospel and Jesus to be central. Well, uh, our speaker today is certainly committed to that. Uh, Dr. Nate Shannon uh, has been such a blessing to this gathering for several years now with his teaching. Uh, but today, uh, is actually a little bittersweet, uh, because while we get to be encouraged by Nate today, this will actually be the last time that we hear from Nate uh, for, for quite a while. Nate and his family uh, have made the decision to transition out of Korea, uh, and if everything goes well, everything according to, to God's plan, uh, he will be accepting uh, a teaching position, a seminary position uh, in England. And so while uh, I'll certainly miss him, I know we will certainly miss him here as our gathering, uh, I'm so thankful for how the Lord is leading and the opportunities that lie ahead for Nate uh, to continue to preach uh, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so again, uh, we're so thankful for you, uh, Nate. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, it's an honor to call you a friend. And so, FEC family, uh, why don't you join me now in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Nate Shannon. I think I'll record a video saying thank you and send it to Jane. <laughs> that's, that's very kind. Um, it's good to see you all. Good morning. Um, the, the first problem is a, a one of pronunciation. Uh, uh, you can say Habakkuk. I'm used to saying Habakkuk, so I'm going to do that today, and I hope that doesn't set you off balance. It's the same one here. It's, it's the same sort of figure, but anyway. Um, let's pray, and then we'll look at the text. Lord and our God, we thank you, Father, that um, you have promised to be with us, and indeed you are with us. We remember, Father, that you are eternal, and you do not change, and therefore we are not consumed. We know that your promises are good because you're your being is perfect. We know that you love us because we saw your love in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and we saw you confirm your love in his obedience, even unto death. Uh, how little we love each other, but how perfectly Christ loved us and still loves us from your right hand. And we pray, Father, today that you would be with us as we seek to taste and be reminded of your goodness and your grace and your gospel again today. We pray, Father, we call upon his name. We are here gathered in his name, and we look to you, Father, to remind us of your perfection and holiness of your law and of your grace and your mercy and the gospel of your Son. So we ask for your help, Father, because apart from him we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... Uh, Good morning. Hello. Nice to see you again. Uh, I have a couple of things in mind today. I'd like to give you kind of an overview of the whole book. So I, I sort of went back and forth. You see, Nathan, great name, by the way, Nathan. Uh, just uh, commend his parents for their choice. Um, 
but uh, you know, I went sort of back and forth. Should we do just the, Nathan read just the first four, four, four verses, and we'll come back to that. But I'd like to give you sort of an overview of the whole book. Fortunately, it's very short. The book is very short. But it's also very unique. It's a very interesting prophetic book. Uh, so it, you, you find it somewhere sandwiched in the middle of the minor prophets. You know, I myself use a page number sometimes to find it. The minor prophets are, are, are a crowd of guys. It's, you know, there's no alphabetical order. There's nothing to go by, you know. So it's page 1500 in my Bible. Um, but it's just three chapters. And here's the first thing you notice about this book. In pretty much every other prophetic book, you have the prophet preaching to people and then also his interaction with God. But in this one, it's just sort of a private, we get a sample of a private conversation between God and the prophet. We don't see him preaching to, to, to Judah. We don't see him preaching to anyone. And actually, you get the impression at the beginning of the book that he has already been preaching a lot. Uh, he's been sent to probably Judah. We don't even get much background, but probably Judah. He's in Judah um, uh, sometime probably 600, 7th century B.C. It's not even specified exactly, so there's a little bit of guessing, which is cool, let me tell you. Don't be bewildered. when the, uh, Someone might come up and say, well, we don't really know. And, and then what happens is you think, oh, no, doubt, confusion. No, if you don't know, that means God says, don't worry about that. Focus on what I did tell you very clearly, right? And so, there, you know, so you don't have to worry about it, actually. But we can guess, more or less, probably 7th century B.C., and he's in Judah, but you'll see why, why I think that. But so here's the deal. He's preaching to this nation, to God's people, who were God's people, but they have forgotten the law of God. They've forgotten about God. They've forgotten about piety. They've forgotten about justice and righteousness and holiness. They've forgotten all of it. They per- sort of perpetually forget. And they've fallen into sin and selfishness. And God has sent this man Habakkuk, Habakkuk, uh, uh, to preach. And he's preaching and preaching. There's violence. There's injustice. There's corruption. There's impiety and godlessness. And he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. And then we get this. And you saw the beginning. He says, Lord, how long? How long should I preach? And there's no res- you're not doing anything. There's no response. In other words, if you think about it, if, if I read this you know, this week and I thought, wow, it's a failing ministry. Right? He's, he's kind of a missionary, and he stopped writing monthly updates because there's nothing good to tell. So he's very, on a personal level, the prophet himself is very frustrated. But it's a theological question. A lot of times when people look at Habakkuk, they'll come and they'll say, oh, it's about suffering. And Habakkuk is struggling because there's suffering and evil, and he doesn't know. So it's a theodicy. Yeah, kind of. It's way more than that. It's way more than that. But you do see that, this question. God, if you're there, what are you doing? Why all this stuff if you're there? If you are who you say you are, I don't understand what I'm seeing. You know, you don't have to raise your hand. We've all asked that question. If you haven't, you will. You'll probably ask it with more urgency in the future than you have in the past. I'm sorry to say. But this is a wonderful book because that's true. 
So he, so he cries out, right? He's, pre- he's preaching, 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 calling to repent. Come on, please return to the Lord. And there's no response. And so basically, the first couple of verses, they call it Habakkuk's complaint. It's not very nice. I tell my children, don't complain, and here it is in the Bible, you know. But that's, that's what it's usually called. So his first complaint is, God, what's going on? Now, no, it, it, the, the Lord's response is very curious, okay? Listen, Lord, your people are being unrighteous, and they won't respond to the gospel. What, what's going on? The Lord says this, don't worry. I'm going to send a horrible, wicked, violent, arrogant people to punish them. That's the rest of chapter 1. In chapter 2, Habakkuk basically responds, what? That's pretty much what he says. He's totally dismayed. Look, but look at, or, or it, it's, uh, yeah, end of chapter 1. So look at verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to do this kind of quick, show you some highlights. Look at what he says. This is very interesting, verse 12. The Lord has just said he's going to send this horrible people to inflict Israel with violence. And he says this, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. So Habakkuk is going to go back and forth, dismay and confusion. God, why are you doing it this way? And then every now and then, something strikes him and and he says exactly the right thing. What he says here is, God is God, holy and perfect. Therefore, I trust Him. And then he goes back to saying, my goodness, what are you talking about? How can you from high holy heaven look down while unrighteous wicked people attack the, your, the godly your people Habakkuk knows there are good people in Judah and anyway they're God's people and they remember God promised to be with them to protect them and then he's going to do exactly the opposite he's going to send this horrible nation it's the Chaldean it's actually it's Babylon They're going to come down from the northeast and attack Judah. And Habakkuk says two things. You are from everlasting. We shall not die. And what on earth are you talking about? How can a just God? You see that? There's sort of of polarity there. They're kind of back and forth. God is because he is God, because he's everlasting and unchanging, he can be trusted. Is that the hurry up alarm? Go to chapter two. I think that's what, that's probably my wife telling me, move on. Okay. So no, that's no problem. I'm still trying to figure out Habakkuk. So we'll, we'll take the alarm in both senses. So, okay. So, okay. So just, just sort of peripherally, if, if, you know, if I get stuck, just hit the alarm thing, and we'll, we'll kick it forward. Okay, so then the Lord responds. Check out his response. So Habakkuk's stuck in that back and forth kind of. Then the Lord responds, chapter 2. Um, well, what, one more thing let me point out that he says, and this I think is key to the whole thing, and it's quoted three times in the New Testament, okay? Chapter 2, verse 4. It's quoted uh, by Paul in Romans and by Paul in Galatians, and whoever wrote Hebrews thought it was worthwhile too, and he quoted it as well. But you will recognize it. Chapter 2, verse 4. Listen, look, look at, he's talking about two different people here. Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Behold, this is ESV, his soul is puffed up, which means arrogant, self-confident, self-righteous, self-reliant. I don't need God. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. 
But by contrast, the righteous, that is the righteous person, righteous people, the righteous nation, shall live by his faith. So, so you can still see the same sort of polarity there. He's confessing that he trusts God because it's God is God. But he's also looking out the world. You know, he prays, I trust God. Then he looks out his window and he sees the arrogant and the proud threatening the righteous. He sees justice flipped upside down. So he confesses that God is who he says he is. But the world confuses him. And that's what, and that, that's what we see here in 2.4. It's sort of like he throws down, every, just says, this is, I, don't, I don't understand. The righteous shall live by faith, but this guy. And what's amazing is he just allows those two things to live side by side. Notice that. That's why it's a little bit annoying when someone says, Habakkuk is a theodicy. It's not the kind of theodicy you might want. It's not an answer to the problem of evil in, in the traditional sense. You know why it's not an answer in the traditional sense? Because the answer is Jesus. And when some smart guy says to you the problem of evil, what he means is Jesus isn't enough for me. I want a philosophical answer. I demand God to complement my rationality. I want God to endorse my intellectual acumen, right? But the, the, the answer the Lord gives here is Jesus. So I just cheated. I told you the end of the story, but you knew that anyway, right? So, so he said 2-4 is really cool. It's kind of key. I think it's okay to take 2-4 as a key to the whole thing, Habakkuk's entire experience. So you can keep that in mind. The righteous shall live by faith, and in this case, what is faith? It's that confession from one twelve that God is from everlasting and we will not die. Can you say that? He is from, you don't have to literally say it, I just mean, can you confess, is that what you hold? That's the gospel. If you're here and you're wondering what exactly is it, He is from everlasting, and I will not die. Now, you need Jesus to connect all that, to bring it together. But Habakkuk is confessing all that already. He is from everlasting, I will not die. Who is from my Savior is from everlasting, and I will not die. So he's confessing that, and he's looking out at the world saying, but my goodness, it's a mess. And he's in dismay, but in a dismay, comforted by grace and the everlastingness of God, his deliverer, okay? And uh, now check out this response. Again, it's, it's especially interesting if you're thinking in terms of theodicy and answer to the problem of evil. What does God say? He says, I'm going to send these wicked people to crush my own people for their sin. And Habakkuk says, what? And then he turns around and he says, but don't worry. This is, this is woe to the Chaldeans, one, uh, two, six and following, Basically, the Lord says, but don't worry, I'm going to crush them too. So basically, it's a warning. So the Lord is going to use them to punish His people in a way to sanctify His people. God doesn't punish excessively or pointlessly. He disciplines His people, Jesus says, right? As a father disciplines His children, a perfect father who never disciplines too much or too little, okay? So he's going to discipline his people with the rod of, of Babylon. Habakkuk says, what? And he says, but don't worry. I will, I will, I will respond to their arrogance and their greed and their, their, their puffed up soul. He will subdue. 
And that, 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 that's, his, that's his response. And so then finally at the end, you have some of the most beautiful, the, the most beautiful prayer uh, in chapter 3. And I want to look with you quickly, and this will do it for us. Three, uh, you could say 313. Let's look at 312. 312, and you'll see Habakkuk receives this word from God, and he responds in prayer, and he has a prophetic vision. He sees what the Lord will do. Okay? 312, you marched. This is what he saw. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head. This sounds familiar, right? You crushed the head. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, and so on and so on. Look at 16, just give, so he says, I hear and my body trembles. He fears the justice of God. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He is trusting that God will in the end, right, subdue his enemy and bring peace on earth. I, I, I will give to you the end of the book for you to read privately at home because it's, it's such a beautiful sort of resolution to the whole thing. But that's, that's basically sort of what happens. Habakkuk preaches. He's dismayed. Nobody's responding. Lord, what's going on? Don't worry. I'll punish them. What are you talking about? Don't worry. I'll punish them too. I will come in wrath and judgment and settle all scores and wipe away every tear and bring peace on the earth. And Habakkuk confesses this to God, that he will do it and he can rest in hope. Though all else is lost, you are everlasting, and I will not die. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Again, roughly 700 years before Jesus walks on the earth. But Habakkuk is confessing faith that God will save his people. Do you see that? So God uses Habakkuk's life to speak to him. In terms of things he understands, Israel, Babylon, right? About the deliverance that he will accomplish, that God will accomplish, which is even greater than the things Habakkuk experiences, right? Habakkuk's worried about Judah being delivered from Babylon. And the Lord speaks to him, don't worry, I will deliver. But he's kind of going, I will deliver, don't worry, right? And the Lord is kind of saying, yes, Babylon is a terrible nation, but actually, Do you see what the book is saying? The judgment of God is more to be feared. As Jesus says, don't worry about the one who can kill you, but after you're dead can do nothing. Right? Babylon is a great enemy, but even the Lord himself is more to be feared than enemies of the flesh. So so what's amazing about it is the fatherly sort of tenderness of God as he speaks to the prophet himself 
in terms of his own context, in terms of, he enters the experience of Habakkuk and speaks to him about Judah and Babylon and justice and deliverance and stuff, but he's communicating to him a gospel that is greater than Habakkuk can imagine. My kids are in the room this time, so it's a little bit strange, you know. But, you know, I mean, well, th- think about it. Think about it in, in terms of your circumstances. You know, something that really concerns, or some, some frustration, some surprise, some unwelcome surprise. And what do you turn to? You turn to the Lord and you don't say, oh, God, please remake heaven and earth. You say, God, get me out of this mess. And the Lord speaks to you and moves in your heart. He is there. That's the message of the cross, that He's in our flesh. He walked our walk and felt. The writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We have one who is completely able to sympathize, but was without sin. You know, so, so he's qualified for his job. You can approach him in hope. You can approach him in hope, but also know that he's walked in, your very, in the very same experiences. Whatever they are, know that Christ has felt them. But he is from everlasting. So you will not die. Habakkuk does not know the name of Jesus, but he knows the deliverance of Jesus. He knows the flesh of the experience of his mediator. He knows that God is with him. He knows that God is from everlasting. And what he says he will do, he will do. He knows that God will deliver. He knows his judgment is fierce. But that his grace overcomes it. Again, Habakkuk, 700 years before, Jesus cannot say Jesus of Nazareth because he doesn't know that name, but he knows all about what Jesus will do. He has faith in that Christ. And that faith in that Christ, that eternal Son of God, who is from everlasting, will come and take on himself the dismay, even Habakkuk's dismay, the injustice, the corruption, he'll take all of that on himself. And it will be poured out on him in order to silence all that, in order to restore the law and righteousness and piety and love for God and peace on earth and goodwill among men. So in a sense... We see in Habakkuk's experience, we, we see him growing in his faith in the Lord. We see real, true confusion. Christians are confused. We see, we, well, here's what we don't see. We don't see God telling Habakkuk, well, I'm from everlasting, so stop whining. I'm from everlasting, so stop complaining. I'm from everlasting, so why are you pretending like this is difficult? Your life is easy. You have God on you. Stop whining, right? That is not a view of suffering that is endorsed by the Bible. The Bible proclaims, because Christ endured, suffering in all of its flesh, disappointment and sadness, and even religious dismay, 
Do you see it? Habakkuk can't put it together theologically. The answer is not, again, a logical solution. The answer is what the Lord will do. Habakkuk may carry that dismay to his grave, but he will die in hope of the resurrection. Do you see that? Isn't, there, there is no religion on the earth that can do those two things at the same time that can say suffering is real, but hope is greater. And you can see it in the Christ himself who really suffered. And when I say really, I mean as real as we are, so was he. As frustrated as you are, so was he. As lonely as you have ever been, so was he. And his dismay was unconfused by sin and selfishness. It was pure, sinless, godly dismay. But for the joy that was held out to him, he endured, says the writer of Hebrews. For the joy that he could see, for the joy that was proclaimed by the Scriptures, for the joy that he knew because he knew God. So you could put it this way. You could say Habakkuk has a Christian heart. He didn't know that word. First of all, it's an English word. But also, again, he didn't know the name. He didn't know the face. The Bible says the prophets longed to know these things. They longed to see. And the New Testament church is so blessed and fortunate to have seen the one who was sent to to fulfill the promises of God. This horrible judgment that we see, Christ suffers on the cross. This mercy of God, He accomplishes in His life and is is shown in His resurrection. So go back, if you will, with me to, to the beginning of the book. So we're returning finally to the first four verses. Again, Habakkuk is preaching and preaching and preaching. There's no response. But the reality is he, he's not just a man on, a, on, a, on, a, on an ethical mission. He has the Spirit of Christ in him. He has in him even God's own lament for sin. When Jesus hears that his friend has died... And he, and, he, and he makes that trip, and he stands outside the tomb. Remember, Jesus sheds tears at the death of his friend. And when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he's sort of, he's heavy. He feels the weight of sadness and rejection. See, his ministry is not kind of in a kind of, he doesn't have sort of a, a mission or a job description. Uh, Jesus' ministry is a ministry, he was sent from heaven for love. It's the love of God. For God so loved the world. Jesus preaches because he loves, Jesus obeys because he loves. 
and he suffers and he dies because he loves. Make no mistake, he's not going through the motions. He's not an unfeeling religious guru or a kind of sage or a holy man who's left the world behind. He is subjecting himself to the world because he loves it. Again, no religion in the world has dreamed up anything close. The asceticism of the monks of the religions of the East or even Roman Catholicism is self-concerned asceticism. It's not, a, it's not self-renunciation for the love of others. It's for self-enlightenment. It's a gross undoing of selflessness. It is the grossest self-idolatry dressed up in humility. Those robes and those sandals are the biggest lie under the sun. This man did it. He had no home. He had no place to lay his head because he loved others. Habakkuk has that very heart. His dismay is that he's worried. He sees the weak oppressed. He sees God forsaken. The law of God that should have given Israel life, that should have made Judah the object of God's blessing and adoration, they were supposed to be a treasured possession of the Lord. Treasured possession. They should have been the object of God's affection. But they have neglected him. It's a loveless people. And Habakkuk's heart is broken. So look at verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Let me give you full permission we have full permission ourselves to read Habakkuk 1, 2 from the confusion of our own lives. Please open your Bible and pray it to the Lord. How long? That is a Christian confession, you understand. Don't be shy to tell the Lord, I can't do it anymore. Don't be too proud to wonder, God, why do you delay? I needed you yesterday. Habakkuk says it because Jesus himself said it. Jesus himself on the cross says, Father, where are you? He suffers that loneliness and dismay for you. He's in religious confusion. But he knows God is good. He's been abandoned. His ministry was rejected in no uncertain terms. You worried about sharing the gospel and looking silly? How about naked, nailed to a piece of wood in public? Silly. But he was without sin. So death could not contain him. He cried this very cry, but he rose again. 
And his communion with the Father is unbreakable. And that communion with the Father is ours too when we call upon our Christ. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. But the righteous shall live by faith. Let me tell you, he is from everlasting and you will not die. Amen. Let's pray.